Luke 4, 31 to 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. They stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we consider this passage of Scripture, as we consider the authority and the power of the words of Jesus, we pray that through the Holy Spirit you would open our eyes, all of our eyes, to who He is, what his authority was all about and what he came to do. Lord, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to submit to the authority of Jesus. Lord, that you would help us to submit to the authority of his word, all of his word, for the glory of your name and for the building of your church. Amen. Well, I'm standing before you to preach to you the good news of the kingdom of God. I have God-given authority to preach these things. You also have God-given authority to preach the kingdom of God. But neither you nor I have the power or the authority to make anyone believe or to make anyone obey. As I mentioned with the children, I have God-given God authority over my kids in the home, but I don't have the power to make them obey. Likewise, I don't have the power to make them believe as I preach to them the things of God and His Word. If they obey or don't obey me and my authority, it is, it is an act of, of their will. When they reject the Word of God, it is also an act of their hardened will against God. 
Now, if they don't obey me, I can use the means that are at my disposal, correction and discipline, to, but I can't make them do anything that, I, that they don't want to do. I can't even make my dog do something that it doesn't want to do. Well, the prophets and the teachers in the Bible understood authority and power. They understood the authority and power that they had, and they understood the authority and power that they didn't have. Men like Moses and Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah were amazing men. They performed miracles. They faithfully preached God's word. And they didn't just preach God's word, they wrote God's word. And they did this all through the power of the Holy Spirit. They had God-given authority, but they did not have the power to make anyone obey. The Holy Spirit had not enabled them to do that. Whenever anyone believed or obeyed their words, it was God and the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of their hearers who enabled them to obey. Furthermore, the power for the miracles they performed did not come from them. It came from God. It was God performing the miracles. This morning, we're going to be looking at another kind of authority and power, the authority and power of Jesus Christ. He had ultimate authority and power. This wasn't just God-given authority and power. This was God's authority and power. God didn't just work through him to perform the miracles. He performed the miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. God didn't just work through his words with authority. Jesus had the authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. His word possessed authority. Well, last week we looked at the first incident that Luke includes of, of describing Jesus' ministry in his hometown of Nazareth as he went to the synagogue and there proclaimed the word. Remember, he read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and Isaiah 58, 6, and then began to explain what this text means. This is a very telling choice of passages for Jesus to read. It's a, it speaks about the proclamation of the arrival of the Messiah. But it's also an indictment on the failure of Israel to serve God and one another in chapter 56. Now these verses parallel in, in the first part of, of what we looked at last week, parallel the passage of, of, of God's suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one who will, will serve God and it will serve his, his people in every way that Israel failed to do. He will suffer and die for his people, and he will be exalted. And remember, although the people were initially impressed with, with Jesus' words, with his gracious words, they were not very impressed with him. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew that they were in their hearts demanding signs saying, do for us what you did in Capernaum. So evidently there was another ministry at Capernaum before the one that we're going to be looking at today. When he spoke of how their forefathers had rejected God and when God had sent the prophets Elijah and Elisha away to despise Gentiles to minister among them instead of amongst Israel. We're supposed to be God's chosen people. They had rejected God. And God had rejected them. And then we see this then lived out as the people then rejected Jesus. Trying to kill him. 
And he rejected them, leaving Nazareth never to return. So these people here this morning in Capernaum have the same choice. Are they going to accept Jesus? Are they going to receive him as a Lord and Savior? Or are they going to instead reject him, refusing to submit to his authority? Mark describes this same incident in Mark 1, verses 21 to 39. Luke presents Jesus' ministry in Capernaum immediately after what happened in Nazareth because we're meant to, to compare and contrast these two events. There are many similarities and there are many differences. Both describe Jesus' ministry in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Both describe people's initial amazement. In Nazareth, the focus was on Jesus' proclamation and the people's response to it and to him. And the focus in Capernaum is again on his word, but the focus is on the authority of his word in action. In this passage, Jesus meets all kinds of people in all kinds of setting, men and women and demon-possessed and the diseased, individuals in crowds and in, in synagogues and homes and in the wilderness. And Jesus heals them all. He has authority over all. The authority that he demonstrates in his miracles points to the authority that he has in his teaching. That's really what this passage is about. This passage begins and ends with a focus on the preaching, teaching of Jesus. Jesus' preaching and Jesus' healing are both examples of his authority in the Word. Jesus' Word possesses authority. Again, that really summarizes the whole passage in one sentence. Jesus' Word possesses authority. It reveals who he is. He has authority over demons and he has authority over disease. And it points to his authority to teach. This is why Jesus came. He did not come primarily to perform miracles. The miracles were signs that point to the fact that he was sent to proclaim the, the gospel of the kingdom. They had authority and power to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. But Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus was not just a herald. The herald, John the Baptist, had already come. Now the king had come. Jesus is the one who ushers in the kingdom. He is the Messiah who sets the captives free. Jesus is again revealing here the nature of his fulfillment of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and 58, 6. Again, the people are brought to a point of choice. Will they accept him or will they reject him? Now, even though these people in Capernaum do not, do not uh, reject Jesus like those in, in Nazareth, we wonder, are they going to, to reject him in another way, maybe? Are they going to respond in anger like they did in Nazareth? Or are they going to, to have a, a different kind of of response that is, is equally a response of rejection. Are they going to understand who Jesus is? Are they going to, to submit to his authority? This morning, again, we have three key points. In verses 31 to 37, we see that Jesus has authority over demons. In verses 38 to 41, we see that Jesus has authority over disease. And verses 42 to 44, that Jesus has authority to teach. 
So first of all, Jesus has authority over demons in verses 31 to 37. First of all, verses 31 and 32 really parallel to, to what we saw in verses 14 and 15 that we discussed last week. They, they both serve as an introduction to what's going to follow. As verses 14 and 15 introduce Jesus' teaching ministry and the initial response to it, the same is true in verses 31 and 32. Jesus initially went, he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee. Capernaum was an important city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was on the imperial road from the Mediterranean Sea through the Transjordan and Damascus. Archaeological digs have, have resulted in estimates of about 1,500 people living there at the time of Jesus. There's a remarkably well-preserved synagogue in Capernaum that you can visit. There's only one Capernaum in, 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 sorry, one synagogue in Capernaum. This is very likely this place where these events happened. As Jesus did in Nazareth, he was teaching on the Sabbath. This time we don't hear what Jesus was, was preaching, but the response, notice, is, is similar to the response in, that, that happened in Nazareth. The people were astonished at his teaching. And Luke goes on to say that for his word possessed authority. This is also the re response of the teachers in the temple from Luke 2 when Jesus was 12. People are amazed at, at, at the authority that he has in his teaching. They're astonished because of the authority of his word. So, so here we're getting insight into who Jesus is. We're getting insight into what he came to do. He came to preach the word, and he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as in verse 18 from Isaiah 61:1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus to enable him to proclaim the gospel. Now remember, as we think about, about the hypostatic union, Jesus Christ is, is truly God and truly man, but there is, there is no admixture between the, the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. It's referred to as a subsistence. Besides the act of God taking on human flesh into subsistence with himself, every other divine act of, upon Christ's human nature was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. The authority of his preaching was through the power of the Holy Spirit. His miracles were through the power of the Holy Spirit as well. In Mark 1.22, we, we get the fuller quote. They were astonished at his teaching, for he thought, for he taught, he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. There was something different about Jesus. The scribe would refer to scribes would would refer to teachers who had come before. Jesus did not need to rely on anyone else's authority. As, as part of the, the triune God, he had God's authority. He had the Holy Spirit working in and through him to have the authority and the power to preach what he did. There's a very similar response to the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount there at the end of, of Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Similarly, in John chapter 7, later in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees and the chief priests who were concerned about the popularity that Jesus was, was gaining 
sent the temple guard to arrest him. And when the temple guard came back empty-handed, they testified that no one ever spoke like this man. Now there are eloquent orators. There are persuasive orators. There are powerful orators, but no orator ever spoke like Jesus. No one ever spoke with the kind of authority that Jesus had. And again, this was the Holy Spirit empowering his ministry of the word. Now, this theme of the, the progress of, of the word is prominent in Luke Acts. We're going to see the continuation of this at the beginning of chapter 5 and throughout Luke's gospel account and, and again into the book of Acts. But now we're going to see a new kind of authority in Jesus' words. Verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. The Holy Spirit was not the only spirit at work here. This man was possessed. A demon had taken control of this man. Now, we don't hear very much about this sort of thing in Western culture. But I've heard very many testimonies of these things taking place in the Pacific Islands. The same is true in Africa. I wonder, though, how much of, of what is, is described as mental illness in our culture has a demonic component. Some people ignore the demonic altogether, but others obsess about the demonic. It's like I said in the Sermon on Jesus' Temptation, the cleverest ruse of the devil is to persuade you that he doesn't exist. And that the other extreme are those who are keenly focused on demonic activity, but merely as, say, sensationalism. And what they end up doing is, is inadvertently giving glory to the devil. They see a demon under every bush. They act as though he is the one who is sovereign, not the sovereign God. But you don't need to be a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist to know that every world system is a pawn of the devil to achieve his wicked purposes. We read in the scriptures about the powers and principalities and, and rulers in high places and, and they are at war with God and they are at war with us. There is war taking place in the heavenlies. But when it comes to, to discussing these things in the scriptures, when it, in the Old Testament, we, we really, we do see that, that, that much of what takes place that is involving pagan gods in the Old Testament is really demonic activity. But what we really don't see much in the Old Testament directly about them, or especially about, uh, there's nothing, no example of, of demon possession that we know of in the Old Testament. But it's clear from the Old Testament that demons are fallen spiritual beings. Deuteronomy 32.17 speaks of, of Israel being, becoming so contaminated by the idolatry around them that they made sacrifice to demons. And Leviticus 17.7 refers to them as, as goat demons. Psalm 106 verse 37 says they went so far that they offered their sons and their daughters to these demons. But again, there's nothing there about demon possession. The Bible says nothing about demonic possession apart from the Gospels and Acts. That leaves us to wonder, well, well why, was, why was this described so often? Why was there so much of this taking place during this time? Well, well, one explanation is that there was a lot of spiritual activity taking place in the world around the time of the Incarnation. Again, not saying that this doesn't happen at other times, but, but there was, it was really highlighted in this time, at this, at this region. Jesus was coming to confront the forces of evil in the world. Again, this is a continuation of the battle 
with the devil that we saw in the beginning of Luke chapter 4, that Jesus came to defeat Satan. So in verse 34, the demonized man cries out with a loud voice, Ha! This is an exclamation that reveals surprise or indignation or anger. The King James and the NASB translate it, Let us alone. The same word occurs in the original language in verse 41, where Jesus does not let the demon speak. Jesus would not let this demon alone. Quite the contrary. It asks, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It's saying that there, there's no common ground between us. It, it knows that, that Jesus is, is set apart, infinitely above everything that is profane. The demon recognizes who it is who has entered the synagogue, even if the people didn't. It asks, have you come to destroy us? Oh, yes, he is. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Jesus is the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 who crushes the serpent's head. He will destroy all demons and cast them into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25.41. The demon continues, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows who this is and knows that he and others like it are in trouble. This is not a mere man. This is the Holy One of God. This title is only used here. And also in Matthew 1.24, which relates to the same event, and in Peter's testimony in John 6.69. It, it focuses on, on the consecration of Jesus to God's service. Again, the people might not have understood who Jesus is and what he came to do, but the demons understood. James 2.19, the demons believe and shudder. Again, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. They know who they're about to, to square off with. Matthew 12, 28 says, But if it is by, Jesus says, If it is by the Spirit of God that I, have cast, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus then, in the power of the Holy Spirit, proceeds to cast out this demon. By revealing who Jesus is and where he's come from, the demon has tried to take control of the situation. But Jesus is only just beginning to reveal who he is. It is Jesus who takes control. He will not allow his identity to be fully revealed yet, especially by a demon. Titles like Holy One of God and Son of God and Messiah will only have their full meaning later in Jesus' ministry, especially in light of his suffering and exaltation. So Jesus rebukes the demon, silencing it with a word. He says, silence. And then he commands it to come out of the man. The demon threw the man to the ground but couldn't harm him. Again, we see the authority of Jesus in this interaction. It simply came out of him. No incantations, no magic charms, no crucifix, just Jesus' word. This is the first visible miracle in Luke's gospel account. Jesus' word possesses authority in proclamation. His word possesses authority over demon possession too. Jesus has demonstrated his authority over the demon. He rebuked it, 
silenced it, and removed it. The devil had promised earlier to give Jesus authority, but Jesus had resisted the devil's temporary and tainted authority, and the Holy Spirit provided him with holy and ultimate authority over the demons. Jesus entered the battle, took authority, and won the victory. Notice the response of the people in the synagogue. They said to one another, verse 36, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Did, did you catch that? What is this word? He has authority and power. So again, they're astonished at the authority of his word. They're astonished at his power. This, this idea that the power of Jesus is also prominent in Luke Acts. Jesus is the mighty, mightier one to whom John the Baptist had pointed. Word began to spread now about Jesus even further, about the authority of his word, but this was just the beginning. Now, let's think about this compared to what we saw last week in Nazareth. This is not the hostility that our passage ended with. But the question remains, do they understand who Jesus is? Do they understand what he has authority for? Amazement and an initially favorable, favorable response might be a sign of something positive to come, but it might also just be a neutral response. It might lead to faith, but it might not. Jesus demonstrated his authority, the authority of his word by his authority over demons. But the question remains, do the people understand who Jesus is and what his authority is for? Verses 38 to 41, Jesus has authority over disease. Well, now in verse 38, Jesus arises and leaves the synagogue and enters Simon, Simon's house. This is the apostle Simon Peter. Mark tells us that it was also the house of Andrew, Peter's brother. And he also tells us that James and John were there as well. And again, in the Capernaum archaeological site, very close to the aforementioned synagogue, about, about 30 yards away, there is, there is a house, the remains of a house that had been converted to a place of worship somewhere around the middle of the first century. It was, the walls of the, the main room were plastered over and the, the implements there were, were, had gone from the types of, of individual cups and, and plates and whatnot that you'd have in a, in a, in a in a single-family home and, became, and were replaced with the implements of worship. It's very possible that this is, in fact, Peter's house, the very place that Jesus went on the Sabbath after leaving the synagogue. Now, this is Luke's first mention of Peter. We don't meet Peter until chapter 5, where, where Peter is called as a disciple. And it might seem puzzling to you, but remember that, that Luke has arranged the material differently than the other gospel accounts. Mark places that event, the call of the disciples, before this one. Furthermore, Luke often introduces characters briefly and then circles back around to introduce them more fully later on. That's what he's going to do with Peter. So in the house lay Peter's mother-in-law, ill with a high fever. Now Luke's detail here specifically about the fever being high is often used as further evidence, albeit circumstantial evidence, that Luke is Paul's beloved physician of Colossians 4.14. But nonetheless, Jesus stood over Peter's mother-in-law and rebuked the fever. 
Now again, it might seem strange to you to rebuke an inanimate, inanimate object. But later on we'll see that, that Jesus is going to rebuke the stormy sea in chapter 8. Just as the demon now had come out of the man earlier, the fever left Peter's mother-in-law. Both the diseased and the demon-possessed need liberty. They need to be set free. This is yet another testimony of the authority of Jesus' word. This is a testimony that he came to proclaim liberty to the captives and the oppressed, and that he has, as he has declared in verses 18 and 19. And so Peter's mother-in-law immediately arose and began to serve them. There was no recovery period. She was completely better at the word of Jesus. Now, she didn't display amazement. She displayed thanksgiving through hospitality. But notice that again, Jesus has been helping someone on the Sabbath. Soon enough, we'll, we'll see that he's going to run afoul of the Pharisees for healing on the Sabbath in chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Jesus is revealing what the Sabbath ought to look like. It's not a day for work or for selfish pleasure, but of worship and ministry to others. But when the sun was setting, after the Sabbath, people began to bring their sick to Jesus for healing. Because the, the Sabbath was now over, they felt free to be able to carry burdens. But there is no prohibition in the Bible about carrying a sick person on the Sabbath. They were showing their submission not, not to God's law, but to the man-made rules of the Mishnah that were added to God's law. It's the Mishnah There's a burden for people to carry, and Jesus is going to set them free from that burden as well. But notice the inclusive terms in, verses four, in verse 40. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases were brought to him. He laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Luke is making it very clear. Jesus had total authority. The fact that he laid his hands on every one of them also shows his personal care for these people. How different this is from what we saw in Nazareth, where the only miracle that, that we saw was the miracle that they didn't see as Jesus slipped away from the murderous mob. He also cast demons out of many. Verse 41. Again, they recognized who he was. And again, he rebuked them, silencing them, and showing his authority over them. Again, remember that the devil had promised to give Jesus authority in Luke 4, 6. But he had resisted. Again, he had resisted that authority. And the Holy Spirit enabled him to have true and ultimate authority. Luke tells us again that the, the demons knew that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is fulfilling the ministry that he outlined in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 from the book of Isaiah. But do the people know? Do the people know that they recognized his authority? But do they understand who he is and what his authority is for? So we've seen that Jesus has authority over demons. We've seen that Jesus has authority over, over disease. And in verses 42 to 44, we see that Jesus has authority to teach. He has authority to teach. At daylight the next morning, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. Mark tells us that it was to pray. Jesus was in regular communion with the Father. 
As an aside, are you in regular communion with the Father? Do you take time to be alone with God? Or is your prayer time only as you drive to work in the morning? Do you have any regular prayer time at all? Now, I'm not saying it would be wrong to, to pray as you drive to work, but, it, but if, you, if, that is the, if that is the bulk of your prayer life, then you are starving yourself of what you really need, of true, undistracted fellowship with God. Jesus needed it, and so do you. Jesus died so that you can have a relationship with God. What are you doing in the power of the Spirit to cultivate that relationship? Again, this is not just a responsibility. This is a privilege. The people came looking for Jesus. Mark says that, that, Luke took the, that, Mark says that Peter take, took the lead in the search. But again, this is quite different from the hostility that we saw at the end of Jesus' ministry in Nazareth. But again, do the people of Capernaum understand who he is? Do they understand what his authority is for? We have our answer there at the end of verse 42. They would have kept him from leaving them. Now, this is a, an emphatic word. This, this word means literally to control or to restrain. They wanted to control Jesus, to keep him there so that he could keep on healing them. Well, the people in Nazareth wanted to get rid of Jesus uh, get rid of Jesus permanently. The people in Capernaum wanted to keep him there permanently. While those in Nazareth were, they were unwittingly trying to achieve the devil's plan by killing Jesus, the people in Capernaum were unwittingly trying to achieve the devil's plan as well. They were trying to keep Jesus from his ministry. They clearly do not understand the, the scope of Jesus' ministry. They, they, don't want, they don't understand what his authority was for. They don't want to share Jesus with anyone else, or at the least the Jesus that they thought that they had with them. But Jesus will not allow himself to be hijacked. He tells them in verse 44, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. This is what his authority was ultimately for. It was to reveal who he is. It was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. This is a matter for him of, of divine necessity. I must preach. He is single-mindedly focused on achieving his mission. I was sent for this purpose. As we saw last week, this ministry of proclamation is central to what Jesus came to do to proclaim good news to the poor, verse 18, to proclaim liberty to the captives, also verse 18, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, verse 19. And as we saw last week, this refers ultimately not to physical deliverance, but to spiritual deliverance. The authority of his word to deliver people from disease and demons reveals that Jesus has authority to preach. It reveals that he is indeed the Son of God and that the Father has sent him to preach the good news. And here it is specifically the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is the first mention of the kingdom of God in Luke. He's going to refer to it 30 more, 31 more times in his gospel account and six more in Acts. The kingdom of God is his reign and his rule. The gospel of the kingdom, then, is the good news of salvation for all who have faith in Christ. The gospel of the kingdom is that you can be set free from slavery to sin and be set free to live for Jesus. 
Jesus has a unique authority to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God because he is the king. He is not a mere herald. The kingdom has come because the king has come. Yet again, there's, there's also a future element of the kingdom. This is the already, not yet, that we've spoken of many, many times. The kingdom has already come. You can see this in the demonstration of Jesus' power and authority. However, the ultimate demonstration of Jesus' power and authority has not yet come. It will not be evident until his return. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Jesus' healing ministry pointed to who he is and what his authority is for. In Luke chapter 7, that I wish I'd mentioned, I'd meant to mention last week, that when John the Baptist sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask if he was the one or they should, the Messiah or whether they should look for another, what did Jesus do? He, he healed many and cast out many demons, and then he sent these disciples back to John in verse 22 saying, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. This is evidence that, that he is in fact the Messiah, that he is God the Son. Well then, like at the end of our last section, Jesus left. Verse 44. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now some manuscripts say synagogues of Galilee, but this is likely the, the correct translation. And this is the, the broader sense of the word Judea that refers to the, the whole of the Jewish territory. Again, it refers to the, the whole scope of Jesus' ministry throughout Israel. Jesus left Capernaum. He still has other places to go as part of his mission. But like our passage last week, this one ends with departure. This time, though, he didn't leave, Nazareth, didn't leave Capernaum like he'd left Nazareth. This time he leaves against their will. But unlike Nazareth, Jesus is going to return to Capernaum in, in chapter 7. But it won't necessarily be a positive return visit. We'll only see him healing one person, the, the servant of a Roman centurion. And then in Luke chapter 10, he's going to refer to Capernaum again, Luke 10, 15. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. So there are many in Capernaum who will ultimately reject him, proving that they never understood who Jesus is and they did not submit to his authority. Jesus was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But Jesus does not merely preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I have been sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. You have been sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But you and I can only preach it. Jesus has been sent to usher in the kingdom of God. He's been sent to defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. This is what Jesus' power was to do, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to usher in the kingdom of God. His very presence is a proclamation of the kingdom of God. Now think back for a moment to your salvation. If you're here this morning as a Christian, Jesus probably didn't have to 
cast any demons out of you when you were saved. Jesus probably didn't heal you of your physical diseases when you were saved. Jesus didn't preach the good news of the kingdom of God to you personally. But the good news of the kingdom of God was preached to you personally. If you're here as a Christian this morning, you responded personally through the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart, regenerating your heart, causing you to be born again. By his authority, Jesus has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom is far more powerful than any individual demon. Jesus, by his authority, has delivered you from spiritual disease. And that disease is far more deadly than any physical disease. But the question remains, are you submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ? Are you submitted to the gospel of the kingdom of God? Now, if you are not submitted to Jesus, if that is not the, if that is not the, the bent of your life, then you're simply not saved. Because if Jesus is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. But we have to admit that, that all of us fail to submit to the authority of Jesus in various ways. And by God's grace, we are, are growing in our submission as we're sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you and I haven't submitted ultimately to the, the authority of Jesus even this morning, even the last five minutes. But Jesus has won the victory for us by his authority. I trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I've, I've accurately proclaimed the truths of this passage, but I can't make you believe. I can't make you obey. Now, I trust that the Holy Spirit is at the work in the hearts of his people. I, I trust that God's people will see the authority of Jesus Christ and will submit to his authority. One day, every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. As Christians, you and I are not made to bow. We are enabled to bow. One day, all of those who have rejected Jesus, all of those who at, at Nazareth rejected Jesus, at Capernaum rejected Jesus, and all those throughout history who have rejected Jesus, even they will bow the knee, but they will be forced to bow the knee. But by God's grace... Because God has elected us and made us object of his love, he has enabled us to bow the knee. He has enabled us to walk in repentance and faith. Remember Ephesians 2, 1-3. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that was now and is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, we were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God through his grace has made us alive through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, by his grace, has set us free from bondage 
to the sin that we once served. And he has freed us to be able to serve Jesus Christ through the power of his word. But to those who are here who are unbelievers this morning who have yet to bow the knee to Jesus, cry out to God in repentance and faith, trusting that he is able He is able to enable you to turn from your sin and put your faith in him. Next week, this theme of of Jesus' authority is going to continue into chapter 5 and beyond. But this is a question we need to, to continually ask ourselves. Are we like those of Nazareth who rejected Jesus with hostility? Are we like those of of Capernaum who rejected Jesus because we wanted to make him do what we wanted to do? Are we those who have received Jesus? Are we those who have, have believed in Jesus, accepted him, submitted to him, to his authority and his rule in our lives, submitted to, to all that he has accomplished for us, submitted to all that he has called us to do? For his word is still powerful. His word is still able. His word still has authority in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We marvel at the authority that you displayed, at the power you displayed, the the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you empowering you to accomplish your words and your works of salvation. Holy Spirit, we praise you for the regenerating work that you have done in the hearts of so many in our midst, empowering us to turn from our sin and put our faith in Christ. Almighty God, we pray that you would help us to grow in our submission to you, not out of mere duty, but out of delight. Lord, out of love and worship for you, help us, Lord, to gladly, eagerly, lovingly bend the knee. For you have the ultimate authority and you alone are worthy of all submission. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.